If you've got your Bible with you, you can turn with me to the letter to the Galatians, book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 5. We're going to begin in chapter 5 today. Um, as we have been working through the book of Galatians, I hope that you've seen up to now that this, this letter, along with all of the rest of Scripture, of course, is supremely important for the Christian life. So just as a way of reminder, the Galatians were being told, the Gentiles there in Galatia, in the churches there were being told that trusting in the gospel of Jesus alone was not enough, was not sufficient to make a Gentile right with God. There were Jewish teachers, Judaizers that had come in and were teaching that in order for Gentiles to be saved, to be uh, right with God, you must trust in Jesus. He is the Messiah. He did raise from the dead. You must trust in him, but you also have to be circumcised according to the law of Moses and live according to the Jewish law as God's people had always done. We saw this same heresy uh, back in Acts chapter 15 when we were working through the book of Acts. It says, but some men in Acts 15, 1 came down, they came to Antioch from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And the whole reason why the book of Galatians is here is Paul is writing to them saying, no, that's not so. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And to add anything to the gospel, any work, any striving, any effort, any ritual, any ceremony, any anything to faith alone in Jesus, his death and resurrection, is to destroy the gospel. And so as we study chapter 3 and 4, we saw Paul make a, a pretty forceful case when anyone trusts in Jesus, anyone, they're redeemed by faith alone. They're adopted as children of God by faith alone. They're heirs to the covenant of Abraham by faith alone. He's made that case through chapter 3 and 4. In Christ, regardless of your background, whether you're Jew, Gentile, no matter where you're from, what your culture is, in Christ, when you're born again by faith, you are children of the promise. You've been declared righteous, been justified before the Father. In Christ alone, you are free. Free from sin, free from death, free from, free from the penalty of the law of God. But what does it mean, really, to be free? In chapter 5 and 6, which we're going to begin today, Paul is going to show us what walking in this freedom of the gospel looks like. So let's read verses 1 through 6. 1 through 12 is actually a single unit, but there's so much in 1 through 6, we're going to do that one today and then take 7 through 12 next week. He says this in chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit... By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 
that'll be our text for the day. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we do love you and we come before you thanking you for this opportunity to come and worship you, to, to sing praises to you, to glorify your name with our hearts and with our song. Lord, we pray that you would uh, be present uh, as we uh, contemplate your word, as we, we hear what you have to say, God. We pray that you would open our hearts indeed and that you would show us what you would have us to know from the scripture. We thank you. We do love you. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. So Paul begins in chapter five by telling us basically, and in the most simple terms, to stand firm, stand firm in the freedom of the gospel. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This verse, chapter five, verse one, is really the theme of the whole book of Galatians. This is the whole point of the letter summed up in one sentence. This is what it's all about. Christ has set you free, stand in the freedom. Don't go back to slavery. That's what the whole book has been about up until this point. Now, when you hear the word freedom, what do you think of? What, is, what does freedom really mean? Most people see freedom as simply being left alone to do whatever I want to do. It means that no one is pushing their ideas or their values on me. It means being able to do whatever I want, whenever I want, any way I want. That is freedom. But the reality is that is what the Bible calls slavery. You see, if we're left alone to do whatever we desire, whether we recognize it or not, we're enslaved to our sin, to our fallen hearts, to our own emotions enslaved to the flesh, to the world. That kind of freedom, if you want to call it freedom, just leads to death and condemnation. Our hearts are not trustworthy. A man named Nate Pickwood said this, follow your heart has ended more marriages, mutilated more bodies, destroyed more souls, and ended more lives than the devil could have ever possibly imagined. Your heart is not trustworthy. A famous preacher said, preach to your heart. Don't let your heart preach to you. When your heart says something, tell your heart to shut up. Now you might say, okay, I get that. I understand that. I see the wickedness of my own heart. I understand that my heart is, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I understand those things. It's not trustworthy. You can't escape, escape slavery that way. But God's law is good. God's law is perfect. God's law reflects his holy nature. He has shown me in the law, shown you in the law, how we are to live. So I won't follow my heart. I'll follow the law in order to be free. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds spiritual. But the law doesn't have the power to free you either. Yes, the law is good. The law is holy. The law is perfect. And yes, the law does show us how to live, shows us God's perfect standard. But because we're sinners by nature, if we try to earn our righteousness by obeying the law, all that happens is we see more and more of our sin. As fallen creatures, we can't keep the law perfectly. We can't keep it wholly, do everything perfectly the way that the law commands. So you won't ever find freedom or righteousness in the law either. If you try to follow the law to earn righteousness before God, you know what you'll find? Same thing, condemnation. To try to be righteous by the law is really just swapping one kind of slavery for another. 
So freedom is not self-fulfillment and independence. That only leads to sin, condemnation, and death. But neither is freedom found in seeking right standing through the law. The law can only condemn sinners. It can't redeem them. So true freedom is being, is being liberated both from the penalty of, the, of sin through the law and being liberated from the power of sin in our own hearts. And the only place that freedom is found, Jesus Christ, by faith alone. Paul makes this clear in this first statement. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, meaning in order to be free, Christ has set us free. That is a statement of fact. It's an indicative. He has done it. It is finished. It is accomplished. There's nothing that we can add to it. He has set us free. The heart of Christianity is not what we do, but what he has done. God, the eternal son, took on the nature of man, entered into his own creation, lived the perfect life according to the law of God, fulfilling the covenant that you and I could not live. He gave that perfect life on the cross as a sacrifice to pay the full penalty of sin in the sinner's place. And through faith alone, we are united to Jesus so that his death is my death. His death is your death. His death pays for our sin. His righteous life is applied to our account before God. So now the judge of all the earth looks at the sinner who trusts in Jesus and declares them righteous because of Jesus. In Jesus, we're free. Nothing else is needed. So Paul makes this statement first. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And then he gives us the command, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm in the freedom that Jesus has provided. Paul is saying, Christ made you free. He's telling the Galatians who were being tempted to go back to circumcision, go back to ritual, go back to working, go back to earning, go back to religion. He's saying, Christ has made us free, so be who he has made you. Live like who you are in him. Don't submit yourself to slavery again by thinking that any work, any ritual needs to be added to make you right with God. Through our study of Galatians, we've already seen over and over again, I'm not going to rehash all the ways, but we've seen how we all have this tendency in us to go back to the law in our thinking and in our practice and in, in, in how we feel as we walk through this life. We feel like we have to do something to earn a higher standing than we have in the gospel. The gospel is just the baby steps. That's what kids do at VBS. I need the deeper things to get me closer to God. Or we feel that, you know, if my performance is not measuring up, if it's not good enough, then somehow my righteousness has been diminished before God and he doesn't see me like he once saw me in the gospel. I'm not as accepted as I once were. Either way, what we're doing is we're adding to the gospel. We're looking back to the slavery that we've been redeemed out of. 
But sometimes we don't even realize, we don't even realize just how vast that this thinking has infected all of life. Right now, the whole world is clamoring over the concept of identity. People seek to find their identity in all kinds of things. People want to find their identity in whatever sinful desire their hearts love, whatever good thing their hearts love, whatever they think they need to be happy. That's who I am. Some people want to change their gender as if that were possible because that's not who I am. That's not my identity, so they say. To most people, in one way or another, life just doesn't have any value or worth or meaning unless I can follow my heart's desire. Some people find their worth and their value, their identity in their career or in their family or even in their ministry. There's no shortage of things, both good things and sinful things, that we turn into idols to try to give us our worth, our identity, our peace, our satisfaction. When you pull back the curtain on all of those things, when you pull off the mask, it's just simply slavery. Dressed up in a pretty package, promising you joy and worth and value and identity and all the things that you crave for, that we all crave for, the satisfaction of our soul, promising you something it can't deliver. Only Christ can do that. Paul says here, it was for freedom True freedom that Christ set you free. So be who you are. Rest in his finished work. Find your identity there and only there. Find your worth and your value before God in the gospel alone. Believer, you don't have to be enslaved to your past, to your hurts, to your sins, to your abilities, to your lack of abilities. You don't have to be enslaved to, to striving for peace and righteousness before God. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Our problem, it just sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Surely I have to do something. I mean, Jason, you're leaving out a whole lot of what else is in the Bible. I mean, you have to live a life of holiness. You have to follow Christ. You have to obey his commands. Well, yeah, you will do those things if you are born again. Jesus changes your heart and the spirit of God produces his fruit in you. But it doesn't work backwards. The life you live for Christ is a result of your salvation, an evidence of your salvation, not the cause of it. Living faithfully doesn't add one thing to your standing in the gospel. Get a hold of that. It's scandalous. For freedom, Christ has set you free. So before we move on in the book of Galatians or even in these verses, take just a moment and breathe that in. If you've trusted in Christ, you've been born again, the spirit of God dwells in you. You're free. You're forgiven completely of your past sin, of your future sin, of your tainted works. Of, you're free. You are adopted. You are perfect before God. You're not perfect in your practice. 
You're not perfect in your life, in your walk. But when God looks at you from the judgment bar of heaven, he sees the blood of his own son, and that blood is perfect. It's finished. It's it's finished. The victory is won. You don't need anything else to have rest for your soul. You don't have to add any work at all. You don't have to be relieved from the trial that you're going through right now. Christ has set you free. Even in the midst of whatever hardship and suffering you may be going through, you don't need anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ to have joy in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of grief, and in the midst of all the other things that go on in this life. You don't need anything else. Jesus is enough. Don't go back to slavery. Don't waver from being satisfied in him. Fight for it. That's what he's saying. Stand firm. Reject everything that says, I need Christ plus something else to be right with God, to be at rest in God's presence. In this case, it was circumcision. But for us, it could be anything. Don't go back to slavery. For freedom, he has set you free. Stand firm in the gospel of Jesus. And then Paul shows us why we must stand firm in this gospel. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. That's tough, isn't it? The issue here, of course, is that Gentiles were told they had to be circumcised in order to be right with God. The gospel is not enough. The gospel won't do it for you. You have to be circumcised as well. And it's just, you know, in in their mind, it could have been, you know, it's just one little thing. It's just one little thing that you have to do. I mean, everything else is fine. You're right about everything else. It's just one tiny thing added to the gospel. I can imagine the argument going like, Paul, you're making this big fuss over this small little thing. It's just a little ritual. It's just a small addition. All we're asking them to do, Paul, is be circumcised as God commanded in the Hebrew scriptures all through them. They might say, Paul, We just have differing interpretations about the scriptures that you brought up in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Can't we just agree to disagree about all this? I mean, where's your love? Where's your grace? How could you judge the ministry of all these teachers? Paul says, no, this is not a small issue, nor is this something we can agree to disagree about. This is as serious as it gets. He says, if you accept circumcision, Just that one thing added to the gospel. He says, Christ will be of no advantage to you, no benefit to you. In other words, to accept circumcision means you have no adoption in Christ. You have no salvation. You have no redemption. And when you stand before God at the judgment, Christ will be of no benefit to you at all. You'll be there all on your own. Now, it wasn't that the act of circumcision is just so evil in and of itself, and it's just so, such a horrible thing. Paul was circumcised. Paul had Timothy circumcised so they wouldn't offend the Jews that they were evangelizing. It's not just the thing itself. It's not just circumcision is bad. Don't do it. 
But when this is seen, when circumcision is seen as something you have to do to add to the gospel righteousness that Christ has given you, to accept that means that you're not trusting Christ alone, but you're trusting Christ plus your own work to be righteous before God. If you think Jesus is not enough and you seek righteousness by another way, by adding some of your work on top of that, he says you'll have to stand in your works alone at the judgment. Paul is clear that the gospel is all or nothing. You can't have it both ways. It's either all of works or it's all of grace. To mix the two, to add your works on top of the grace of the gospel, is to destroy the gospel. But why is adding one little thing so destructive to the gospel? He tells us in verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged to keep the whole law. If you think circumcision adds to the gospel, if you think your work adds to the gospel, if you think law keeping law adds to the gospel then you're trying to be justified before God by adding law to the gospel. Paul says if you do that, if you want to go back to seeking justification by the law, you can't do it piecemeal. You can't pick and choose which laws you want to follow, which ones you want to obey, and which ones you want to discard. If you add one tiny law, you have to keep it all, every single bit of it, every letter. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. To fail in one point makes you guilty of the whole law. So Galatians, if you say that circumcision adds to your standing before God, You've reverted back to the law and you are obligated in debt, literally it says, to the whole law. You must keep all of it perfectly to be righteous before God. Anything less than perfection in the law means condemnation for you. Then he gives one of probably one of the most scary, one of the most, one of the scariest warnings, there it is, in all of the scripture. You are severed from Christ. You are cut off from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Listen, as, as we said before, circumcision itself is, is not really the issue. The issue is working or doing to be right with God. So Paul says, listen, if you want to be justified by the law, you are cut off from Christ. You are severed. Now, the question everyone asks in this is, does this verse teach that a person can lose their salvation? Of course not. Those who are attempting to be justified by the law do so because they haven't trusted Christ alone. But Paul isn't addressing <clears throat> the question of eternal security here. Paul is saying there's, there's two ways to seek after righteousness with God, law and grace. If you go down the road that is the law road, if you will, then you've rejected the grace road. If you go down the path that says my law keeping will get me there, then you've forsaken the grace path to get there. You can only have one or the other. If you accept your justification or seek to be justified by the law, you're severed from Christ and you've fallen away from grace. And you will end up, if you go down the road of the law, you'll end up where that road can take you, the only place that road can take you. So we read this verse and we say, uh, I kind of see what he's saying, but man, he could have said it a different way. 
That's a hard saying. I don't like how Paul phrases that. Well, respectfully, Paul doesn't care what you think. The gospel's at stake here. There are souls hanging in the balance. Scriptural warnings like this are necessary. They're the means that God uses to to call his erring children back and to warn sinners of their plight. And they're necessary for believers as well. Don't you dare say, well, I know that I'm saved, so I don't have to pay attention to this warning. No, you better. Paul taught the doctrine of eternal security clearly. I can show you at least five places off the top of my head where it is. And Paul taught, if you turn and seek to be justified by the law, you're lost. Those two things don't contradict. It's why Paul tells the church in Corinth, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. So the command to stand firm in the freedom of the gospel is necessary because there is no other way to come to the Father and be accepted but by the gospel alone. So what are you trusting in? What are you depending on to be accepted before God? If it's not Jesus Christ alone, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, then you're lost. I don't care what prayer you prayed when you were eight. I don't care how many times you've been baptized. This warning is real. The command is real. Stand firm in the freedom in which he's made you free. But that leads to the question, doesn't it? How? How do I stand firm in the freedom? What do I need to do? Give me a list of things I need to do in order to stand firm in the gospel. I hope you see the inconsistency of that. That thinking right there is the whole problem. There isn't a list of things to do. If I gave you a list and said, okay, this is what you need to do to stand firm in the gospel, we're only one step away from going back to the law. Paul shows us how we stand, how we must stand in the gospel. He says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Here's what you do. You ready? Are you ready? (laughs) Okay, we're not ready. (laughs) Through the Spirit, by faith, wait. Wait for the hope of righteousness. Boy, that don't sound very encouraging, does it? Do you know why it doesn't sound encouraging? Because we, all of us, myself included, We are all so full of sinful fear and pride that we need something to do so I can know for sure that it's done. That is the polar opposite of trusting in Jesus that his finished work is complete. I want a list that I can check off and that way I can have assurance that it's done rather than just trusting that somebody else did it and it's finished and I don't have to worry about it. Church, there is nothing else to do but trust in Christ and wait for the hope of righteousness. We don't attain righteousness by doing, by striving, by obeying, by working, by learning, by growing, by maturing. We attain it by waiting in faith. And we can wait because we trust it's done. He did it all. There's nothing left to do. We believe with all that we are that the promise is already fulfilled. 
and it's completely ours in the gospel. Now, when Paul says we wait for the hope of righteousness, he's talking about when we will be righteous in the presence of God. In Christ, right now, we've already been declared righteous. We've been justified. Our standing before God in Christ is perfect already in him. And because we trust that that is so, that it is finished, now we simply wait for the time when we go to be with him and we will be righteous just as he is. Think of it this way. So today, right now, by faith in the gospel, we're declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. We're free from the condemnation and the penalty of sin and the law today. He took it upon himself at the cross. He paid the full price. He, he has satisfied the wrath of God. If you are in him, there is no more wrath for you. There's never a time in this life or the next that you will face punishment for your sin. You will be disciplined as a good father disciplines their child, but punishment is taken and it's gone. It's gone at the cross. We are free from the penalty of sin right now. And because of the spirit that indwells us in salvation, we're also free right now from the power of sin to rule over our lives. We're empowered to live for Christ and to obey his word, not by the letter of the law, not to earn salvation, but from a new heart that desires to follow him. We're free from the power of sin right now. But today, we wait to be freed from the presence of sin completely. There's coming a day when we're not only declared righteous, we will be righteous. When we leave this life, sin will be no more. The battle between the flesh and the spirit going on in us will end in victory and we will be in practice what he has declared us to be in salvation. So Paul says to stand in Christ's freedom, we trust that he did it all and we wait for the consummation of the promise. Faith in Jesus says there's nothing more necessary and nothing more to be gained. He's done it all. And so Paul can say, if you're in Christ, verse 6, if you're in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, in that verse, in that sentence, We could replace circumcision, uncircumcision with any work, any ritual, any ceremony, anything. It counts for nothing. Our religious duty counts for nothing for our standing before God. Our works, our efforts, our strivings count for nothing. The only thing that counts is faith, and faith always works through love. What he's doing here is he's introducing what he's going to teach us through the rest of this letter. Being free from the yoke of the law doesn't mean we live lawlessly. The faith that saves is always a faith that works through love. And love fulfills the law. Jesus said the whole law is summed up in this. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole law right there. But the law can only command you to love. It can't produce love in you. The Spirit does that. 
When we're born again through faith, the Spirit of God gives us a new heart that desires to love God and to love neighbor. So by faith, by walking in the Spirit, we fulfill the law. Not because we have to to be saved or already saved. Make sure that you see this. Don't get it backwards. We're not justified by love. We're not justified by loving God. We're not justified by loving our neighbor. We're justified by grace through faith. Faith alone justifies, but faith also produces love, the fruit of the Spirit in us. Walking by the Holy Spirit is really the point of the rest of the book of Galatians. But before we get into that, I wanted to take time this morning. First, make sure that you're planted in that freedom, in the freedom of the gospel. Examine yourself, whether you be of faith or not. What are you grasping for that Jesus hasn't provided to you in the gospel? What is it that you're grasping for? What do you think you need that he has forgotten to give you? So often we proclaim and we, we truly believe in our minds that Jesus is enough. He is all that I need. He fulfilled what I was created for, made me right with God, made me adopted and free, and now I'm loved by God. I'm cared for by this all-powerful God who controls all things in Jesus. All things work together for good, and I know that, but in our daily lives, when trials happen, suddenly Jesus is not enough anymore. When hardship comes, Suddenly, Jesus alone is no longer the source of my satisfaction and my joy. Now I need something else. I need to be relieved of this. I need to have this. I need to get... And we forget all things work for good. We forget our Father's in control of all things. We forget that I'm adopted and I'm loved and I'm free and Jesus has given me all these things. No, Jesus, I need this. I need to grab this. And then I can be satisfied. Lie. When things happen that show me in my family, in my life, in my job, in my circumstances, when things happen that show me I'm not in control, suddenly Jesus is not enough. I fall into this spiral of just uncertainty and despair and hopelessness and all those things. I want to be in control. I want to be in control of my life and what happens around me. Suddenly Jesus is not enough. Listen, all these things, they're just idols. They're idols that are embedded in us, in our sinful nature that we're warring against. The most common three, if you want to know, the most common three idols people have is comfort and control and significance. If something happens to dis disrupt my comfort, oh, all of a sudden I I I'm dropped into a, a hole of despair. I'm dry, I, I, I can't function. Life is just not worth me. If something happens that messes up my control, now I'm just uncertain. I'm in doubt. I'm wandering around wondering what am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? Significance. If people don't give me the praise that I think I want, if I don't earn the accolades, if I don't win the promotion, if I don't do all these things, I have to have these things in order to be satisfied. Idols. Jesus has given you everything in the gospel. You are adopted son of God and all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You need nothing else. Listen, scripture proclaims with a loud voice, no matter what is going on in your life today, 
And there are people in this room that are suffering today more than I can ever imagine, more than I've ever been through or probably ever will go through. I don't make light of people's grief and suffering. I don't make light of their hardship. I don't make light of their trials. I know that they're real and they're hard and they're terrible. But scripture proclaims with a loud voice that no matter what is going on in your life, Jesus is enough. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Today, maybe, maybe slavery to sin or slavery to works of the law is all that you've ever known. Maybe that's what you've always thought Christianity is. Maybe you've heard do it by works of the law from pulpits like this one all your life. Maybe that's how you were raised. Listen, believer, you can stop running yourself ragged trying to please these other masters that you will never satisfy. No matter what you grasp for in this world, even good things, great things, no matter what you grasp for to find that peace, that righteousness, that satisfaction, that rest of soul, it will never give you what it promises. Only Jesus can do that. For you were created for him. And your soul will not have rest until it finds it in him. If you go down the works of the law, I need to do this to be right with God. I need to do this to be accepted by God. I need to reach this level. I need to find this spiritual place. I need to learn more. I need to study more. I need to figure out more. I need to understand more. I need to pray more. I need, you can add anything you want to that list. If you go down the road of trying to be justified by the law, you're going to end up in the only place that seeking righteousness by the law can lead you. Slavery. Lay down that burden. For freedom, Christ has set you free. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, My burden is easy, and my yoke is light. And listen, you will find rest for your soul. Trust in Christ. Give him your heart and life. And then tomorrow as a new believer or as an old believer, if you've been saved for 30 years, trust in him afresh. Trust in him anew. He's given you everything. There's nothing more to earn, nothing more to gain. You are righteous before God. Now walk in it. Take a moment. I remember, being, I remember sitting on the side of a, a swimming pool in the house I used to live in in Tennessee, and I, I just remember, I don't know what was going on, but I, I remember just thinking, this can't be right. It can't be true that it's done and there's nothing that I have to do, nothing I can do, nothing I can add to it. it it's just a free gift. It can't be true. It can't be true. It's got to be a catch somewhere. It's got to be strings attached. If something's too good to be true, it's not true. Understand, it's true. You are free. Take it in. There is nothing else you can do to add to what Jesus Christ has done. Live in the freedom that he's given you. 
And as we continue through Galatians, we'll see what that looks like, walking by the Spirit of God. But today, lay down that burden. Lay down that burden, throw it, repent of your sin, and repent of your dead works. They can't earn you anything. Trust in Jesus alone. And then let's walk in freedom together. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the truth of your gospel. For our sinful hearts, it just, it, we just need to hear it over and over and over again just for it to register. God, help us to walk in the freedom that you've given. Help us to know with all that we are that there is nothing we can add to the gospel, nothing we can add to what Jesus has done. He is enough, he is sufficient, and we are righteous in, in standing because of what he has done and who he is. God, and as we live our lives, as we walk in this life, help us to see that, yes, we're, we need to walk in holiness. We need to walk after the law of God. But those things don't add not a single thing to the gospel. Help us to live in the freedom that you've given us, to honor you, to glorify you for what you've done. Lord, words just can't express the magnitude of what we have in the gospel. And God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that has been striving, working their fingers to the bone to, to, to turn their life around, to earn standing before you, to earn uh, being accepted by you, God, I pray that you would show them they can lay all of that down. It means nothing. It earns nothing. You have given salvation as a free gift that must simply be received God, I pray that they would call out upon you for salvation, that they would trust in Jesus, that he died for me, that he rose from the grave for me, that he stood in my place, and that it is enough. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, I'm going to stand right down here at the front. If you want to come, I'd love to pray with you. Will you stand with me?